You're listening to Comedy Central. January 22nd, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Trevor Noah, you guys are amazing for coming out here, and thank you for tuning in. Our guest tonight is a terrific comedian with a new HBO special. Amanda Seals is joining us, everybody. <laughs> really, really fantastic show on HBO. Also, on our show tonight, the biggest Oscar snubs, the sorriest Democrats, and robots losing their jobs for a change. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Today is day 32 of the longest government shutdown in American history. Federal workers are about to miss their second paycheck. More and more TSA agents aren't showing up to work, and the government is so broke, the Statue of Liberty had to get a temp job at Quiznos. <laughs> but it looks like there may be some good news today, because it looks like the shutdown may be coming to an end. Breaking news to tell you about, there could be an end in sight to the partial government shutdown now in its 32nd day. The New York Times reporting this afternoon that the Senate will vote on Thursday on two separate bills that would end the shutdown immediately. One includes funding for the president's border wall. The second would extend funding for agencies currently shut down, that funding through February 8th. Congratulations, Congress. The first step toward doing the bare minimum, yeah. We're proud of you. Yeah. Now, look, the truth is, passing these bills is still a long shot. But right now, I feel like everyone is so desperate this counts as good news, which it shouldn't. You know, it's like if the doctor came out of the operating room and said, great news about your husband's cancer surgery, I've made the first incision, and I'm almost ready to remove the sponge that I left inside him the last time. This is good. <laughs> and the big plan is to pass funding through February 8th. That's the weirdest thing ever. America's just gonna re-up the government for two weeks at a time, like it's a boost mobile plan. <laughs> Be like, yeah, this is my burner government. I don't like to get attached. <laughs> in other news, this week is the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. It's an annual event where all the world's leaders gather to talk about the economy and, you know, the state of the world. And in their downtime, they perform ritual sacrifices to the Dark Lord Baphomet. <laughs> what, you guys think they were just binging Bojack Horseman? Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> This is the Illuminati, people, grow up! <laughs> but this year, this year, the list of attendees is much shorter because there's a lot going on in many developed countries, right? The United States isn't attending because of the shutdown. France isn't attending because of their protests. Britain isn't going because of Brexit. Putin isn't going because he's Putin. Uh, <laughs> at this point, the guest list is looking like the Evite to Chris Brown's Oscar party. It's just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know. Even, even India isn't sending anyone, which... I'm sorry, like, are you telling me they couldn't send one person? <laughs> They've got a billion people in their country. It's just like everyone, the Indians are like, look, we would have loved to come, but there, there are a billion things to do here, okay? <laughs> you go on without us. But you know the African countries are still going, right? Yeah, they're like, finally, Uganda's time to shine, yay! <laughs> like, we didn't invite you, Uganda. It's like, it doesn't matter, we are still coming, yeah? <laughs> oh, moving on now to Japan home of 93% of the world's weird stuff. Uh, it turns out <laughs> they have to dial it back a little because it was getting too much, even for them. 
hotel in Japan says it is firing oh. its robot employees. What did they do? The hotel initially started using the robots to try and maximize efficiency. You might remember some of them were built to look like dinosaurs. But guests are apparently complaining. The robots are just a nuisance, they say. The gadgets wake people up in their rooms thinking they're asking a question when they're actually just snoring. They actually have raptor uh, robot bellhops, and those didn't work so well either. Humans had to come in and do that job. And then two robot luggage carriers could only reach about 24 of the 100 rooms in the hotel, and they failed in rain or snow. It's crazy that this didn't work out. No, because I don't know about you, but when I'm jet-lagged after a 14-hour flight to Tokyo, the first thing I want to do is argue about my Priceline reservation with a raptor. Yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> that's a vacation, am I right? Like, even if you were gonna get dinosaurs that were robots to help people, why would you choose a raptor? They're useless at helping. Like, they can't reach the top floor in an elevator. <laughs> and you always have to help them with your luggage the whole time. They're just like, yeah, can you give me the bag? No, can you bring it? Yeah, no, no, give it to me, and then I'll take it. Yeah, but I just gave me the thing. And worst of all, they're the most terrifying housekeepers. We actually have footage of them going into people's rooms. Housekeeping! <laughs> oh, man, we're so stupid. All right, let's move on to our main story. The 2020 election. It is now only 650 days away. Yeah, I hope you're preparing. I already bought my election night yogurts. <laughs> and as we all know, there are a ton of Democrats eyeing the White House. And you probably noticed one person in this picture who shouldn't be there. That's right, Bloomberg, get the f out of there, man. You're not a Democrat. But with the race heating up, it's time for another look at the Democratic primary battle in our ongoing segment, World War D. Running for president is an exciting experience for every politician, right? You get to eat free food, you get to stay in all the cool hotels in Iowa, and you get to kiss children without being called a pedophile. Yeah, <laughs> which is something I miss in my life, because in Africa, you can just pick up anyone's kids if they're cute. Yeah, you just pick them up, you kiss them, and then, like, here, it's like a whole thing. They're like, oh, that's my child, bring them back. I had to register on a list just so that I could pick up children. That's how it works, right? Anyway, uh, before you enjoy the perks of running, though, you have to do a, a bit of housekeeping. Right? You have to clean out all the skeletons in your closet, which is why for the past few weeks, some of the major Democratic candidates have been atoning for positions that they used to hold that are no longer welcome in the Democratic Party, right? Candidates like former Vice President and surprise massage therapist Joe Biden, <laughs> who yesterday <laughs> expressed regret over being a little too tough on crime back in the 90s. I've been in this fight for a long time. It goes not just to voting rights, it goes to the criminal justice system. I haven't always been right. I know we haven't always gotten things right. But I've always tried. Barack and I finally reduced the disparity in sentencing, which we've been fighting to eliminate, and crack cocaine versus powder cocaine. Correct. It was a big mistake when it was made. We thought we were told by the experts that crack, you never go back. Once you crack, you never go back? <laughs> really, Joe Biden? Is that how the experts phrased it? <laughs> yeah, the scientists were studying crack under a microscope, and they were like, my God, if these readings are correct, crack is whack. <laughs> like, can anything be done? I'm afraid not. The data shows there's no hope with dope. 
And, and by the way, once you go crack, you never go back is not even a real phrase. <laughs> I think Biden is conflating two different phrases. First, there's once you go black, you never go back, which isn't true, just ask Obama. And then there's black don't crack, which also isn't true. Again, just ask Obama. <laughs> but the point is Biden regrets supporting laws that he now believes led to decades of mass incarceration. Although at least he never hated gay people which is more than Hawaii's Democratic Congresswoman and presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard can say, which is why last week she apologized for all her years of supporting conversion therapy and opposing gay rights. Aloha. In my past, I said and believed things that were wrong. And worse, they were very hurtful to people in the LGBTQ community and to their loved ones. I'm deeply sorry for having said them. My views have changed significantly since then, and. My record in Congress over the last six years reflects what is in my heart. Wow. That felt like a very intimate apology, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I feel like she pulled me aside, like, there's something I need to talk to you about. <laughs> Come with me outside to the gazebo. <laughs> but I, I thought you said gazebos were gay. I know, I know. <laughs> That's one of the many things I've evolved on. <laughs> so basically, the Hawaiian Congresswoman wants everyone to know that she used to say aloha to gay people, but now she's saying aloha to gay people. <laughs> but this apology tour isn't just for people like Gabbard. It's also for people who have a chance of winning, like Senator Bernie Sanders. You see, before he moves on to 2020, he has to make amends for things that happened during 2016. Senator Bernie Sanders met with a group of former campaign staffers who say they faced sexism and sexual harassment while they worked on his 2016 campaign. I certainly apologize to any woman who felt that she was not treated appropriately. And of course, if I run, we will do better uh, next time. Sanders met with those accusers, but refused to talk about their discussion, describing it as private. Okay, I'm sorry, that's just bullshit, all right? <laughs> no, Bernie can't say any conversation he's ever had has been in private. If you're in a 10-mile radius of the man, you can hear the conversation. <laughs> no, I mean, he's a great politician, but he would suck as a priest. He's like, so you say you masturbate to pictures of your aunt? <laughs> Yo, shh, man, she's outside. Your hot aunt you masturbate to is outside? But of all the Democrats hoping to be president, the one whose positions have changed the most from what they used to be is arguably Kirsten Gillibrand. Before she was a senator, Gillibrand represented a conservative district in upstate New York. And even though that was a long time ago, she's still trying to make sure the slate is wiped clean for her 2020 run. You said uh, Trump's immigration positions are racist. Now, as you know, uh, you were more conservative early on in your career on immigration. You said that you were a, quote, firm opponent of giving, quote, amnesty to illegal aliens, unquote. You said English should be, quote, the official language of the United States. You called for expediting deportation of undocumented immigrants. If Trump's immigration positions are racist, were they racist when you held some of those positions as well? They certainly weren't empathetic and they were not kind. And I did not think about suffering in other people's lives. And so I took the time. I went down uh, to Brooklyn. I met with India Velasquez, who's been a leader in fighting for families for a long time. And I listened. And I realized that things I had said were wrong. Damn. Jake Tapper got her on that one. No, because I mean, it's hard for her to say Trump's policies are racist, but her identical policies were just unkind. You know? It's like someone saying, no, honey, what you did was cheating. When I slept with Carol, I was just being unkind to our marriage. 
over and over again. I unkinded it in my car, and I unkinded it in my office, and on good days, I unkinded it twice. So you can get the unkind out of here. <laughs> but to be fair, to be fair, I get why Gillibrand had to say, I went to Brooklyn, and I saw things in a different way. Because let's be honest, if she had said, yeah, my policies used to be racist, but then they changed, you know the headlines would just be, Gillibrand admits racism. And Trump, he'd never let that go. He'd probably make it her new nickname. He'd be like, my opponent, Ku Klux Kirsten, <laughs> is so racist, she's trying to steal the nomination from Native Americans like Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> but this is not the first time that Gillibrand has apologized for her previous policy positions. Because, you see, it turns out she also used to be very pro-gun. As a congresswoman, Gillibrand used that family tradition of hunting to appeal to conservative voters in upstate New York. She boasted an A rating from the NRA. So why the 180? After I had appointed, I um, went down to Brooklyn to meet with families who had suffered from gun violence in their communities. And you immediately experience the feeling that I couldn't have been more wrong. Okay, uh... <laughs> what's... What's going on in Brooklyn? <laughs> like... Every time... Every time Gillibrand goes to Brooklyn, she changes another position. I feel like they're gonna have to make a remix to that Jay-Z Alicia Keys song. It's gonna be like, now nah, I'm out in Brooklyn, changed my mind on gun rights, used to hate illegals, now I fight the good fight. In New York, <laughs> turns out all my past views were racist, there's something I'm changing. Like, I don't know, it sounds like Brooklyn is a magical place, you know? <laughs> yeah, seriously, like, maybe I should go to Brooklyn, see if it changes me for the better. You know, and in fact, wait here, I'll, I'll be right back. <laughs> Okay, uh, I'm back from Brooklyn. And, uh, I gotta say, this doesn't feel like an improvement. <laughs> so clearly, the Democrat strategy for 2020 is apologize for as many things as possible now so they can focus on the road ahead. And whether you think it'll work or not, you have to admit it's a very different approach than the guy who's currently in charge. Is there anything that you wish you hadn't said anything, you wish you hadn't done, do you have any regrets? I regret that the press treats me so badly. I'm, I'm I do. really asking if And despite know. that, my poll numbers are very good. Why, why do I have to, you know, repent? Why do I have to ask for forgiveness if you're not making mistakes? Have you ever asked God for forgiveness? That's a tough question. <laughs> That's a tough question? Actually, that is a tough question for Trump because he never asks for forgiveness, right? When Trump prays, he probably tells God, you're welcome. <laughs> he's shocked that he's like, dear Lord, I just want you to thank me for what a great day today was. Because of me, more people are praying now than ever before. <laughs> but look, as much as these Democrats will catch flack for their old, unpopular views. I'll, I'll be honest, I think it's good that at least they're acknowledging that they have made mistakes. I think it would be refreshing to have someone in the White House who was actually capable of recognizing that they got something wrong, because then that way they could try and make amends for it. 
So if Americans want that kind of leader, they're probably gonna have to vote Democrats. Or we can just buy a subway ride to Brooklyn for President Trump. <laughs> we'll be right back. Oscar nominations were announced today, and diversity was clearly on people's minds. Regina King was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Well-deserved. <laughs> and this was amazing to me. Spike Lee got his first nomination for Best Director. <laughs> and it's crazy. It's crazy that it took that long for him to be recognized after he spent years directing the Indiana Pacers to go f*** themselves. <laughs> but this year, this year is different. I mean, it's gotten so black that two of the Best Picture nominees had the word black in them. Yeah, it's like Academy voters were like, okay, we don't want another Oscar so white. Uh, black Panther, uh, Black Klansman, you know, screw it. Let's nominate Black Mirror too. Put Black Mirror in there. <laughs> it's a TV show, I don't care. We're playing it safe. So here to talk about the rest of the nominations is someone who was in one of the year's biggest movies, Crazy Rich Asians, our very own <laughs> Ronnie Chang, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Ronnie. It's always an exciting day when the Oscar nominations come out. It's a wide open field. Who do you think is gonna take home Best Picture? Trevor, who gives a shit about Best Picture, all right? <laughs> the story this year is all about the deserving nominees who are snubbed. Snubs, snubs, and more snubs. Especially in the only category that anyone actually cares about. Best Supporting Actor. For performance by an actor in a supporting role. Mahershala Ali in Green Book. <laughs> Adam Driver in Black Klansman, Sam Elliott in A Star is Born, Richard E. Grant in Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Sam Rockwell in Vice. Oh, wow, great job, Academy. Solid group of nominees. But maybe you're snubbing someone? Someone like, I don't know, me, Ronnie Chang, supporting actor in Crazy Rich Asians, available on iTunes and airplanes everywhere? Wait. <laughs> Wait, right, you... You genuinely think you've been snubbed? I think I've been... Yeah, of course I've been snubbed. I lost to a, bu I lost to a bunch of no-name uh, hacks. Oh, come on, Ronnie. Those are great actors in this category. Sam Elliott was amazing in A Star is Born. Sam Elliott. Listen, Trevor, everyone in the business knows his mustache is doing all the acting, okay? <laughs> I could have grown a mustache like that, but I care too much about the craft to rely on cheap facial props like that, okay? Also, my lip can't do that. Okay, well... <laughs> Okay, well, fine. What, what about Adam Driver in Black Klansman? Uh, pff, you mean emo Darth Vader who brought whining to a galaxy far, far away? Big deal. He played a Jewish guy pretending to be in the KKK. I was playing a Chinese person from Hong Kong when I'm really a Chinese person from Malaysia, okay? That's range. <laughs> Plus, in the movie, I had to play an asshole when in reality, I'm more of a dick, okay? And understanding... <laughs> That subtle difference is what separates the best supporting men from the best supporting boys, okay? And what about Mahershala Ali, huh? He just sat in the car for two hours. I do that every time I take an Uber. All I get is two stars. <laughs> and don't get me started on Richard E. Grant. I bet you're like, who's that, right, Trevor? No, actually, we know him. He's the veteran actor. He's a character actor. He's been in movies for decades. Okay, what? Shut up, Trevor, all right? You know what? I should nominate you for least supportive friend. <laughs> Besides, this guy's movie only made $8 million. I know Instagram stories that made more money, all right? <laughs> last and certainly the least, Sam Rockwell in Vice. Again, he already won last year. Are we, going to, are we just gonna keep nominating him? Is this the Best Supporting Actor Award or the Best Sam Rockwell Award? 
plus there's already another Sam nominated. Okay, too many Sams. Hashtag Oscar so Sams. Wow, 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 Ronnie. You, you really seem angry about this, man. Oh yeah, well, guess what, Trevor? I'm, I'm actually not angry. That was, that was all just acting. Dude, you, I'm not gonna lie, you actually had us going. Uh, yeah, thank you. And uh, I hope the Academy will uh, consider this episode for next year's Oscars. Well, we're on TV, so it's not uh, eligible for those awards. God damn it, will the snubs never end? Ronnie Chang, everybody, we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is an actor and comedian you know from Insecure. This weekend, HBO will debut her first stand-up comedy special, Amanda Seals, I Be Knowin'. Amanda Seals! <laughs> Welcome to the show. They stood, that was fun. I feel like the people always stand. Like, your special, what I really enjoyed about it is you have cultivated a fan base which is genuine, and most importantly, you grew them from the ground up. It's something I've always been impressed by is you, 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 you got into comedy, and it seemed like you were hitting a lot of brick walls, and then you were just like, well, I'm just, I'm just gonna create my own lane, and that's something that you've done successfully. Is, is that how you see your comedy career? Um, I think, I feel like that's been my career in general. You know, wow. I think that for, for most black women, that's our career. Like, we're hitting walls and we're like, you know what? Right. <laughs> I'ma build this ladder, I'ma build this bridge. You know what, I'ma just float. I'ma levitate over these fools. Uh, <laughs> that's really what ends up having to be the course of action out right. of this necessity. And now, I mean, it, it's one thing to have your first comedy special. HBO is a monument that most comedians dream of. That, that is, uh, it, it's, it's not just a funny show, but it's on HBO. Was that a dream of yours or was that something that just became like a, a bonus of having a great special? It was actually a bonus. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I was just gonna do it myself. Right. Like, I feel like I have such a strong following of folks that are action-based and that really like give me the encouragement to feel like, you know what, I'll just create my own independent stream of income and I'll just do it myself. If Louis C.K. can do it, I can do it because black women can do anything. And, but then HBO was like, no, 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 we got you, boo. And <laughs> so I was like, oh, so I don't have to spend my own money and I can try and pay off my mama house? Great. Right. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Um, the special is something that is 100% Amanda. Right? And one thing that I've seen many people say about you, which I completely agree with, is you speak in... It's like your voice is un, unfiltered, untampered with. It is like... It is the truest essence of what many comedians wish they could do when they're on stage. Is this something you always had when you were a comedian? <laughs> or... Okay, Trevor. No, Public I... props. Um... <laughs> Public props? <laughs> <laughs> you know, people give you props in your DMs, but it's one thing to do it, like, on the TV. Right, but... Uh... But you're really good, though. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, my mother, I feel like I come from a, a family of people who, I wouldn't say we're unfiltered. I think we just have different filters. Right. I think for a lot of people, fear is the filter. And for me, that's just not the case. I'm not really afraid of if people will like me. I'm more fearful that I will be misinterpreted as saying something other than what I really mean. Wow. Do you think your mom encouraged that? Because I've seen you, you know, post stories. You, you, you tell, uh, you know, a lot of stories on Instagram. You share a lot about your life. And I remember you had, like, a series about you as a young child and how your mom encouraged you to do things that were outside of your world. Do you yeah. think a lot of that formed who you are as a person today? 
Oh, one million percent. Because I really believe in just having like a number of different perspectives to be able to form and help broaden your own, right? right. So, I mean, early on, I was doing a lot of different activities, and my mom just really operated under the banner of if she wants to try it and I can make it happen, let me at least let her try it. Right. If I want her to try something and she's against it, she gonna try it. You know, that was, <laughs> but I think that that's, that's the kind of person that I became because I'm not afraid to take risks. Right. Because I've tried so many things and I liked and I didn't like them, but I always knew that I got back up and I could do something else. When, when, you, when you have these conversations online, you're not afraid to talk about everything. I mean, from, from race to conversations in and around gender to, to what's happening in politics. And what I've always loved is how people will jump into your mentions and they'll say things like, oh, why, why are you speaking on this? What do you even know about this? And you'd be like, well, I have a master's degree Like in... a whole master's. Right, a whole master's <laughs> degree. <laughs> like, a, like a, a whole one. How much do you think that's informed your stand-up? Oh, my gosh. I would say it's the cornerstone. Because so much of my stand-up is about, like, not just laughing, but learning while laughing. And right. so much of stand-up is about talking about what you know. So my passion for black culture and the black experience is not just in my own existence as a black person, but in the actual academic study that I've done uh -huh. about black people across the diaspora. Right. So it really is rooted in that as much as it's rooted in like my own personal stories of getting beat with a box on a train. But that's a whole other situation. I've always been fascinated because I never know which way you're gonna go on a subject or an issue. Like, uh, for instance, the other day there was a story about, you know, this, uh, I think it's a film, Cleopatra, and, the, and then people were angry about who's gonna play Cleopatra. They're like, why are they not getting a black woman to play Cleopatra? This is racism, this is... And you came out and you were like, oh, people need to stop complaining uh, because Cleopatra wasn't black. And I was like, wow, I... I well, mean... she's European. I mean, she was like brown-apian, but she was... <laughs> You know, I mean, she was, she was, according to historical yes. reference, many say that she was the descendant of Ptolemy and, like, Macedonian. Like yes. she, but she was not, like, Nefertiti's cousin, sister's best friend, you know? <laughs> and I think that's what a lot of people thought. As far as I'm concerned, like, I'm just a fact-based person. Right. In the same way that, like, I don't know how we're even kind of defending R. Kelly. Because the facts is he's trash. <laughs> <laughs> the fact. So I don't know, I don't know how we're like talking about other people or how we're like having these like nuanced discussions. He's trash. You know what I... One of my favorite things about you is you, you, you have this dictionary of words that you have come up with so, like, for instance, like, what, what do you say that you said she's not European? She says she's, she's brown appearing. Brown, brown, brown appearing. Appearing. I don't brown know. Appearing. <laughs> and then I, I remember you, you had one of my favorite things where you talked about the difference between someone being white, a white person, and someone who happens to be white. Strong distinction. Why did you feel the need to make that distinction? Because, partially because I feel like a lot of white people... <laughs> don't just... They don't have a distinction amongst their group, right. right? And I think that there's a lot of folks who are like, wait, but not all, but not all, but not all. And it's like, okay, here's something for you. Right. But I also think that the, the, we don't care about the not all, you know, like, but not all, because there's so many doing the BS. Right. Right? So when I make that distinction, it's to also 
for folks who have allies and who know allies to be able to point out this is an example of what you should be, you know? And I think that is important because you can complain, 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 but if you can't identify like a version of what it is to be on the right side of something, right. then it's hard to point people in the right direction. People who happen to be white, white people. People who happen to be white, you know what, watch the special, I explain it. That's, that's a nice hook. I like that, that's a great hook. You've got, you've got the special, mm -hmm. um, you've got your podcast as well, you've got a small show. Small doses. Right, small doses. You've got a show that's really successful around the country that you've been, like, doing, and it's, it's not just a comedy show, it's smart, funny, and black. It's a live music comedy game show experience. Right, but the game show element is what makes it really interesting, and people love that. Explain the game show to the audience at home, because you, you want to go catch the show if you can. What, what is the game show element of this about? So we bring on two funny folks, so it doesn't have to be comedians, but two people who are notable and right. have a sense of humor. And I write games that test their knowledge of black culture, black history, and the black experience. Within that format, we have a moment of ebony excellence, yeah. We have musical sing-alongs, we have information points of view, et cetera, et right. cetera. And so it really is just about edutainment. That's what it's really about. It's right. finding a creative way to bring information and education into a space that is lively and entertaining and at the same time empowering and enriching. Is, is that something you identified from uh, your master's degree in African studies? What, was there something African -American where... Studies. African American studies. Is the, um, the disconnect between how America tells its story and the story of black people in America being excluded from that? Oh, you're trying to get knowledgeable. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, here, we showed up. Okay. Here's one thing about black folks. We love entertainment. Right. Okay? If there were DJs at every voting booth, I mean, <laughs> this situation never would have happened. Okay? You gotta know your culture. You gotta know your people. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And so, I, when, I, when I say that, it's like, we really thrive in that space. And so, if I can use that space to also empower us and enrich us, then what's the hurt, right? Right. But I think that there's a disconnect often just in terms of the amount of negative imagery of black folks that we're getting. And I wanted to create a celebratory space. Right. I wanted to create a safe space because we don't have a living color anymore. We don't have Def Comedy Jam anymore. We don't have the Chappelle Show anymore. So Smart Funny in Black, I've kept it as a live show because I'm in control of it. Right. That's what helps keep it safe. Because once you put it on the TV, then people get in control of it that don't have black empowerment as their bottom line. Is, is that your dream then, to grow into a space where you can create that type of content in a way that you can curate it the way you want it to be curated? Yeah, 1,000%. Because I... <laughs> Commerce has never been the root of my work. Right. It's a byproduct, just like fame has never been the root of my work. It's a byproduct. So I always create art that speaks for me and hopefully speaks and helps people. So being able to do that without having to answer to like, well, white people like this right. is incredibly important. And that is a question I was asked several times, both times that I sold this show and took it back. Wow, well, I'll tell you this, uh, black people will like the show and I think white people will love it as well. It's super funny, congrats on the HBO Anybody special. Anybody who's authentic anyone will love who it. Loved, anyone will love the show, congratulations. Thank you for being on the show. I've been knowing for me is January 26th at 10 p.m. on HBO. It's really special. Amanda Seals, everybody.
The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.